welcome to the KC City Church Audio Podcast. We pray you enjoy this following sermon. Surely He is the Son of God. Hallelujah. Isn't that awesome? That He is alive. He is alive. He is alive. We proclaim that this morning. So Father, we want to thank you for leading us. We want to thank you that so many times we end up being on the road to Emmaus, Lord, not not knowing, not being certain, not being sure, being confused. But we thank you that even despite that confusion, you journey with us. You never leave us, Lord. You you never leave us to ourselves and to our own confusion. And Friends, whatever, wherever you are at, at this point in time, today, is there any confusion about who you are in him. Is there any confusion about what he's done for you and what he will continue to do for you? Is there any confusion about the fact that he said it is finished? Meaning, he paid it in full. If you were here on Friday, you 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 would have heard me share that. He paid it in full. So today, if we were to look at that, we are to be living an unencumbered life. And that is why the word of the Lord says, and and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. We so often have been lied by the enemy. We so often find ourselves on that road wondering, wondering, wondering. But today the good news is, today, let it be more than a reminder. Let it be a crossing. Let it be a moving forward, a moving into a total shift. That only, friends, that only you can allow to happen. So please allow that. Allow what is meant by it is finished to have its full effect and impact on your life. He paid the full price. Fully, completely. Thank you. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. You know, we've been on a series uh, um, of the seven churches, and I was looking through the seven churches to see what I can share today. So I'm not going to share uh, uh, what, what you might feel to be a normal Easter message. We all know that, that he rose from the dead and that the tomb is empty. Amen? But how, has that, how does that impact our lives today? Where does it place us? Where do you and I stand in the context of knowing this truth, that he is alive and that the stone's been rolled away? You know, where does it end? So as I began to look at it, uh, the church that I came across that says this in verse 21, those who are victorious will sit with me. This is in Revelations chapter 3, 
verse 21, it says this. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. So when Jesus said that it is finished, he actually meant that now it is finished and so you are now with me on that throne. We are seated with him in heavenly places. So imagine our vantage point to be able to sit from above and to look. We're not bogged down, or rather we shouldn't be bogged down with the things that we are surrounded with. And why? Why, why do these things continue to happen in our lives? It's a lack of knowledge. It's not knowing the truth. It's fear. It's giving into the lies of the enemy, lies, lies upon lies, upon lies, upon lies, right? Just giving in, giving into the lies of the enemy. I mean, I, I, if you look at your lives, if you look at your lives, and, and, and I know if I look at my life, I realize there are so many, so many times I have given into particular lies, thinking it was that. And at that point, really being fairly innocent about it. You know, sometimes, sometimes you, you keep hearing this, right? Ignorance is bliss. I don't know whether that's really all that true. Igno- whether ignorance is, is really bliss. But we give into the lies of the enemy and he continues to put, put this veil over our faces. But friends, today, Easter Sunday, has to be, it must be, it must be about... The Father reminding us that the stone has been rolled away. You know, that our eyes are not glazed anymore. We see clearly now. Right? We see, we see clearly. Some of us may have had this condition. As we, I think on, on Friday we heard uh, this condition of cataract. And that when you, are, when you go through that operation, even your glasses you don't need anymore because you can see. I can see clearly now. The rain has gone, right? We can see clearly. We can see it so, so clearly. And so when we see this context in verse 21, that those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. We are all victorious. If we come to know Jesus and if Jesus is our savior and today as we celebrate the fact that he's risen, he's victorious, we don't need to remain where we are. The truth of the matter is is we don't need to remain where we are, right? But we go through conditions in life that cause us to be anchored into the lies of things. And today, God wants to remind us again, hey guys, remember this, I have resurrected. I am not anymore there in that place. I'm not anymore on that cross. Hence, you find this cross here that is totally empty. Right? It isn't a crucifix as such, but it is a cross that reminds us Jesus is not there anymore. Hallelujah. So he's, he is risen. He is risen. Say it with me. He is risen. Come on. One more time. He is risen. Right. Now, I want to read... Revelation chapter 3, verse 14 to 22, it is about the church of Laodicea, right? And I'll tie in the context of his resurrection right at the end. But I want to give us a context of this church. This is uh, one of, 
I think, out of the seven churches, one of the harshest messages. And I think it's good for us to look at that today because we have the greatest of hope. So the harshest of messages doesn't need to be prevailing in our condition and in our situation because we have the greatest of hope. Our Christ Jesus has risen. He is alive. He is alive. He is alive. We kept singing that. He is alive. He is alive, right? And in verse 14, it says this. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Laodicea. Right? This is the message from one who is the amen. Who is the amen? The faithful and true witness. The beginning of God's new creation. And in verse 15, it says, I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other, but since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of, the, out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. And you don't, you, don't, you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So I advise you, to buy gold from me. Gold that has purified, has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. Also buy white garments from me. So you will not be shamed by your nakedness and ointment for your eyes. So you will be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. That's a key word today. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. And in verse 20, Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we'll share a meal together as friends. Now, that verse, I, there, are, there are two aspects to this message that I want to touch on, but I will not be able to do both. So I'm only going to focus on the context of luke, lukewarmness. Right, on the aspect of the open door, I just want to say this. This is spoken to whom? To believers or non-believers? To believers. So when he talks about, look, I stand at the door and knock. Do you, can you picture that picture that you see? You know, that painting of Jesus standing on the door and he's knocking. And someone asked me the question, when you look at that picture, what do you see? I said, obviously, I see just Jesus knocking on the door. But do you see that there is no door handle on the outside? The door furniture is missing on, on the outside. It's obviously on the inside so that he will not open it and come in. But you have to open it. So the painter, I don't know who painted that, but the painter had that notion in mind. But do you know, so often we feel, I know when I accepted the Lord, that was the first thing I said, you know, Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart. And so, open the door and let him come in. No, this is written to you and I as believers. It's not written to the sinner who doesn't know Jesus. So that's not the right context. This context is the context of these folks and any one of us who feel, Jesus, I can keep you at a distance. Jesus, can you just hang out, hang, 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 hang out there? Just stay there. I'm going to go there, and I'm going to kind of muck around and do some stuff that I don't quite like you to, to look at. But you just stay there. 
That's to us. This is whom? It is to us. That's why I say this is one of the harshest messages to the church. Right? Those who are victorious, however, will sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. How amazing is this to know that we are sitting with with Jesus on that throne with him. We are with him, co-heirs with him, to be able to rule with him, to be able to do the things that he said that we can do with him because he has now conquered that. He said, it is finished. So he waited and waited and waited until all of the transactions, until everything was debited. No more liabilities as you heard me say on Friday. And he gives us this asset of grace. Redemption. So let me give you a little bit of background about Laodicea, right? It was the last of the seven churches addressed in Revelation. It's in Turkey. And it's about a church that wavered, wavered in its commitment to the Christian faith. And again, the church is not this, right? The church is you and I. So it's about us wavering in our faith. It's being written to those of us. To all of us. So if you were a Christian that lived in Laodicea, you would actually really feel blessed. You know why? Because it was an extremely wealthy, wealthy city. Not only was it located on, on a major trade route that connected it to important cities like Ephesus, Smyrna, Sardis, but it was also the center of textile production. It had black wool and carpets that were just magnificent. Right, And the Laodiceans were some of the best dressed people of the Roman province in Asia. It's like probably going to New York on Fifth Avenue. You know, and seeing all these amazing dresses and uh, clothes and all of that. It's, it's probably being in a, place, in a place like that. It had a medical school, especially famous for its eye ointments or lotion that was actually, and it was also the center of banking for Asia Minor. So it was a center for uh, manufacture, for banking, and for the medical field too. It had, it, it had this, this it, it, it had the, um, uh, how, how do I put that? When you've got, the, it like had the, ah, maybe this is the way I'll put it. It had the master franchise for this ointment. You could only get it from there. You, could, you had to come there and get it. So imagine people coming and coming, right? In today's context, probably it would be, it, you, would, you would enter into a place, um, Laodicea would have all of these posh malls. You would go and you would see all of these Items that you would think, man, it would have some, it, it would probably even have uh, the Teslas there. It would have just some of the greatest, the Rolls Royces there and everything that's there. You know, it would, it would have all of that. That's, that's what the city was really all about. So the church in Laodicea was also, not just the city, but now the church was also a very wealthy church, right? So the most talked about and the most familiar of the seven churches is obviously the church of Laodicea, right? The image of being spewed out of the mouth 
Imagine that is quite, quite graphic and disconcerting or disconcerting. I remember when I first accepted the Lord, I was always given, I was always told, that, hey, you can't be, it's better for you to be hot or it's better for you to be cold and not lukewarm because otherwise Jesus will spit you out. And that's what, I, I, I kid you not, I was, that, that was told to me. So every time I'm thinking, oh, he'll just spit us out, you know, like that. Right? And then I thought, oh, he will spit out whom? Well, what goes in? That means when you spit something out, it is what is inside. So he has me inside. And now he spits me out like that. And so you get fear-stricken. Now, that's not the context. So today I want to set you free. You've not been spat out by the Lord. You will not be spat out by him. He's not going to go... Like that at you at all. Praise God. He will embrace you. Hallelujah, Jesus. He will embrace you. It's ability, right? So, the, the, I mean, you, I, I did that for you to capture this imagination, right? Of what has been laid over us. Laid over time. Generations, generations, right? Now, it's ability to compromise here. There's its ability to compromise for the sake of peace helped in its development and in, and in its prosperity. So it was a, 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 a church that compromised because they wanted to be at peace, right? They were, they, they were, they were peacemakers. They were not peacekeepers. They just wanted to make peace. So what are some important lessons here? We see an important link between the prosperity of the city and the spiritual failing of the Laodicean church, being prosperous. The problem, there was a problem of distinguishing between material and spiritual prosperity. There was spiritual complacency and spiritual pride present. How did that come about? The church, the believers, now often when you look into that, who are prospering materially can easily fall into the self-deception here that their outward prosperity is a measure of their spiritual prosperity. So what I drive, what I wear, where I live, the postcode the Turak postcode, oh, I live there, so I am prosperous. I, as a believer, am extremely blessed. But if I live in Cranbourne, probably not now. I shouldn't say that. If you live in Cranbourne, you're not, okay? Or Dandenong or wherever, you know? Beaconsfield, yes. Beaconsfield too. Upper Beaconsfield as well. <laughs> right, we'll throw all of that in. <laughs> Amen. But you, 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 you know what I mean that, you know, in, in the context that we all feel that, you know, blessing, when you see a person being materially blessed and all of that, you think that is, when you see a church, you know, where it's numerically, where, where numbers are incredible, where the finances are, that's all, oh, that means they are really blessed. They are extremely blessed. So our mindset has been that. And that's what this is. The church of Laodicea is that. And so God, Jesus now is speaking and saying, hey, I've got this indictment against this. This is not what it is. 
And I'll bring you to the context of the verse that, that, that actually describes that as well, right? So believers, there were no believers, by the way, if you look through this, there were no believers who were praised in this letter at all. This is not one of those sandwich, you know, where you got the, you know, the happy stuff. This is like, man, it's all bang, 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 bang. It's, oh, this is, this is drastic, right? This is serious, folks. So why am I speaking this on an Easter Sunday? Because Easter Sunday, something happened on Resurrection Sunday which is extremely serious. It is a serious matter to be a believer. It is a serious matter to follow the Lord, to be a disciple of Jesus. It is that serious. Right? Now, a French sociologist, Jacques Ellul, He argues this and he says that it is the goal of every urban civilization to ultimately make God irrelevant and unnecessary. The whole goal of what they call the city man, writes Illo, is to be able to say, we did it ourselves. I did it my way. Right? It's all about my way. So Frank Sinatra comes up and he presents this theology that hits the world, it does really impact people. How many of you love that song? Don't put your hands up, please. <laughs> I, I, I remember at a, at a funeral we did here, I don't know whether some of you remember, I was told to play the song, I did it my way because the person that passed away loved that song, so that was too. And, and, and I'm thinking, no, I'm not going to play that song. I did it my way. And so, and, and there, there were two parties that were really arguing, no, I don't want them to play that song, I did it my way. And I'm thinking, God, how do I soften this thing? Imagine, I'm just about to come up here, actually, and conduct the funeral a minute before that. I'm, both parties are arguing about, no, I want that song my way. I want this. And that was going on, and... I'm thinking to myself, how do I do? So I said, okay, give me the words for my, for my way. Got the words, I looked at it, and I read that right at the end, and I said, you know, and I want to present this to you, that Jesus says that he is the way, the truth, and the life. He that passed away embraced his way, not just my way. It was my way that became his way. And we were able to shift that. But you see, the mindset of people, they think that it's all about, this is, this is mine. I have the ability to do what I want. You cannot question me. So this was the mindset of this church. Why? Because they were self-sufficient. So the spirit that was prevalent in this place was a spirit of self-sufficiency. I can do it. In AD 17, there was an earthquake. And you know what the Laodiceans told the Roman, uh, the, the, the emperor told them? No, thank you. We don't need your help. We are so wealthy that we can do it ourselves. So that spirit seeped into the church. So again, we've got to ask ourselves, what's the prevailing spirit? What's the prevailing spirit over the city of Casey? What's the prevailing spirit over Australia? What is the prevailing spirit that, is, that prevails over everything right now, through COVID and through everything? That it is inching the church out. It is inching the church out. It is inching. You get people, you get politicians coming and telling you, 
The church should not get involved in matters of politics. But it's okay for politicians to get involved in matters of the church and say who you can employ and who you can't employ and all of that. That's okay. So this is the, this is the, this is the season we're living in, folks. So all of these letters pertain to us, folks. There is so much we can glean from this. And, and as you go through that, there is one clear clarion call. Know your truth. Love people. Know your truth. Love people. Rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. Embrace His presence. Host His presence. Carry it wherever you go. Be a person that would bring a shift and a change to the environment that you are in. Because you carry that. You and I carry that. You are a priest, as I am. We all have different roles. You can do things that I can never do. You can impact people that I can never impact. Because God sends you that he takes you that he gives you this assignment but these guys they were comfortable so two key thoughts here that we get in verse 16 he says but since you are lukewarm i mean sorry since you are like lukewarm water neither hot nor cold i will spit you out of my mouth so lukewarmness of the laodicean church that is one thought and the other in verse 20, as I said, look, I stand at the door and I knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we'll share this meal together. So I want to work on the first, mis- first misconception, right? And it is this. So it, 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 this, this text in terms of lukewarmness has been used again and again to make people who don't raise their hands when they sing or don't go door to door handing out tracts and evangelistic tracts and, and, and who do street evangelism feel guilty. So this, oh, you're not hot enough. Because if you're hot, you will be out there knocking on every door. Right? I, I, I did that because I, I wanted to be hot. So I went and knocked on the door. And as I knocked on the door, I felt so good when I told someone that they were going to hell. Because I knew, because what to me was, hey, I am speaking the truth. So, so it, was so exci- it, it was such an exciting thing. And then realized, why isn't anyone coming to the Lord? You know, when you're young and impressionable and you think that that's the way forward, you think that's, that's it. You know, and, and, and obviously, the motive was all right. It wasn't like as if we were trying to show off or anything. And the person who taught us that as well believed that with all their heart. Because we, you've heard me say this so many times, because we vicariously believe everything that anyone and everyone says. But the Lord is leading us in this season to something else. You sense it, so many of us sense it. Amen? So the lukewarmness of Laodicea is much more prevalent in the church than simply a lack of expressiveness in worship or actually, and actually much more deadly than going to the streets or door-to-door evangelism. The lukewarmness of the Laodicean church was caused by the spirit of self-sufficiency that says, I am rich, I have prospered, And I need nothing. 
That's what my message is today. I have prospered. I am um, uh, rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. So is the resurrection then in vain if that's how we feel? And how do we arrive at this? It is, it is believed that probably many of the church members were active participants in this affluence society. And that the very economic affluence had really exercised this deadly influence on the spiritual life of the church. So the question is, can you be materially blessed and can you be prosperous? Keep the question in the back of your mind. And, and, and we will come to that, right? So, now, an interesting fact about Laodicea, though, as we go into this, I want to just give you a little bit more of this background, is that, that whilst having this economic advantage, it really lacked good water supply, right? So the city, the city of Colosse, uh, Colosse was southeast of Laodicea and was famous for cold minerals, was mineral springs. And north was Hierapolis, that was famous for hot, medicinal water, the hot and the cold. So the water supply now piped into Laodicea now was through an aqueduct. And it was, it was miles, it was kilometers, it was about 20 k's, no, sorry, 10 k's from where they were. And it was south of Laodicea that they had to bring the water. And you know, Asia, the weather and this, it, it, it wasn't the PVC pipes, it was these clay pipes. So as water was coming in, what, what, what happened was, the purse on the receiving end, the water was lukewarm. And it was filled with minerals. It wasn't something that you would like to drink. Maybe like Adelaide water. Yeah. <laughs> I hope my family over there is not listening to this. <laughs> So, so the, the other concern was that this, this city was also vulnerable to any enemy that might cut off its water supply due to the distance. So hence, the fear of being cut off from life-giving water made it weak and the water undesirable. So they become an island to themselves. You become an island to yourself. So, becoming lukewarm in that sense, right? So, having this as a background, we might better now understand that lukewarmness of the Laodicean church, really, was not so much this unexpressive worship, but more so a spirit of self-sufficiency, which is, in reality, it is this sense of being cut off from its primary source of life, being Jesus Christ, the living water. So this is what Jesus is now talking about. Hey, maybe it would be better for you to be hot. Maybe it would be better for you to be cold in a sense. But, you know, you have now rejected me because you think you're rich. So you don't need me. So Jesus is addressing this issue now. You don't need me. You think you can do it on your own. 
So while the church may appear affluent, healthy, and in need of nothing, but from the revelator's standpoint, the church is, in verse 70, it says this, and you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So the Lord takes what the church is so proud of and turns it upside down. And he says, supposedly wealthy and powerful, a a, a powerful banking center in Asia Minor is really wretched and poor. He says this, in its faith. And then a city that is known for its five expensive, you know, clothing and all of that is actually naked before the Lord. And the place well known for its eye ointment, for for healing the eye, is actually spiritually blind. So these three things he renders to this church. So the crux of this church has been unveiled here, and it is the the, the weakness of this church, it is the weakness of self-sufficiency. The eventual destruction of what self-sufficiency can do to you and I. Now, it should not be this way, but it often is. What is it? The appearance, or it appears that there appears to be a link between spiritual complacency and material blessing. The more I'm blessed, the more I have, the more complacent I become spiritually. Think about it. Churches that are prosperous financially and numerically can easily slip into the self-deception that it is also the measure of their spiritual health. Now, John Wesley was often concerned about the effects of riches and success on the nature of one's faith. So Wesley wrote in 1786, and, and, and as I'm sharing this, I want us to think of the cost of the cross. The cost that Jesus paid. When he paid it all, how can that return to us today? How can we live our lives based on that? Based on that one truth. This is what John Wesley writes. I fear wherever riches have increased, the essence of religion has decreased in the same proportion. Therefore, I do not see how it is possible in the nature of things for any revival of religion to continue long. For religion must necessarily produce both industry and frugality. (laughs) And these cannot but produce riches. But as riches increase, so will pride, anger, and love of the world in all its branches. So is it therefore unadvisable for us to prosper, to be blessed? Or is blessing only viewed in the form of material strength? Is that? What about the churches in China that are being persecuted? Is that, is that a blessing? Are they blessed? Or is it that we are more blessed? I mean, there's some, there's definite persecution here, which is of a different kind. Now, obviously, you know it, and I want to say this, it is not the case, right? The Bible 
is full of promises that cause the people of God to actually really prosper and be blessed. Definitely. This is an outcome of a life lived by being dependent on the Lord, by having an intimate relationship with the Lord. So our connection must always be there. We must always be connected. The more we get, we must be even more connected, more connected, more connected. This connection must be there. We cannot be an island to ourselves. Right? Now, hardship and trials are not an indication of a life lacking His favor or and blessing. I still got another hour more to go, so. Well, Shami is asking whether we should get the musicians here, so they want me to end. <laughs> Tomorrow they're going to tell me off at our, st- at our staff meeting, no, Tuesday. Oh, Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday. Praise God. I got one more, I got one day off. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Now, in James chapter 1, verse 2, actually, you can start coming up. James chapter 1, verse 2, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Right? It says that consider it pure joy, that when we face trials. That's the context of being blessed. Right? James, uh, John chapter 16, verse 33, it says this, I have told you these things, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Amen? Isn't that awesome? I have overcome the world. So the issue is where do these blessings and prosperity lead you to? Away from dependency in the Lord? Now Deuteronomy gives us an extremely uh, powerful reminder. In chapter 6 verse 11 and 14. The houses will be richly stocked with goods you did not produce. You will draw water from cisterns you did not dig. And you will eat from vineyards and olive trees you did not plant. And when you have eaten your fill in this land, be careful not to forget the Lord. Who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt? You must fear the Lord your God and serve Him. Verse 14 says, You must not worship any of the gods of neighboring nations. A good question, friends, that I'd like to leave you with is, How susceptible are you to self-sufficiency? That when you acquire these things and when you feel, Man, look at it, I'm a self-made Man, a self-made woman. I have achieved all of this. It was through hard work. I went to the university. I studied. I went to um, TAFE. I did this. I was an apprentice under a horrible person. But I stuck through it. I made it. I don't need to depend on God because I've seen how I have worked my way there. And we live in a day and age where that creeps into us so often. So so here are some ingredients to self-sufficiency. If you are carrying offenses or hurts from the past, you would not want to depend on the Lord or others for fear or the inability to trust. You have been cheated in the past and you now build your own 
financial portfolio and have paid your debts and you hold on to now what you have so tightly. Because I'm not going to allow myself to be cheated again. You've been abused by your spouse. You've been divorced. I'm not going to trust another man or another woman again. I'm not going to give my heart. I'm going to hold it. You better earn it. So I'm going to be self-sufficient. I'm going to let this... As leaders, (laughs) hear this, leaders. You are gifted. You are attractive. You are creative. You are intelligent. It's easy to be self-reliant and feel... Hey, I can do it. I can just come up and preach. I just come up and lead worship. I can lead a small group, connect group. I don't need anyone else. I can go ahead and get this done. Just God and me. And so we use God to run away from God. God becomes your excuse for being self-dependent and self, a self-sufficient person. Or the other is, hey, it is so convenient now. I don't need to come for on-site services. Online is good enough. I can just stay home in my bubble. Because I don't want to come there and see someone that's going to say something. Why have you not come for the last eight weeks? What's going on now? Is everything okay? And you just want to slip in and slip out. Right? Friends, I say these things because I've been there, I've done that. None of us are, you know, above, above board in all of this, please. You know. So many times coming up here and I'm thinking, ah, you know, leading worship, that's not. Can you lead? Yeah, sure. Just go up and just play. So you rely on what? On your gifting, you rely on your ability, you rely, you know. And then God slaps you again and again. That's why he says in this context, he disciplines those he loves. He wants to correct us. He wants to bring us into a place of sonship. And let me end with this context of, 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 of David. So Samuel comes and needs to choose someone to replace Saul, right? And in that, he goes to... He goes to... Uh, El- goes to the house of Jesse and he sees Eliab and he thinks yes he's the one and then the Lord says to Samuel no and in 1 Samuel chapter 16 you can read that whole text I won't go through that but I'll pick a verse do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him for the Lord does not see as mortals see they look on the outward appearance but the Lord looks on the hearts. An important reminder that the Lord looks at our hearts. So Samuel, in this chapter, asked Jesse, Are all your sons here? Jesse replies to Samuel, There remains yet the youngest, but he is keeping the sheep. The interesting Hebrew word for the youngest is this, Hokatan. Say it with me, Hokatan. 
It can be literally translated as the runt of the litter. So that's what Jesus is saying. That's what, what, or rather what Jesse is saying is this. There remains the runt of the litter, but I'm not sure that you really want to see him. We have given him the job that doesn't take a lot of ability. The job for the kid who didn't do so well whilst at school. Oh, he's keeping the sheep. So this is such a great context for us to land on this morning. I love the fact that the greatest king in Israel's history was essentially overlooked by his family. But not by God. Not by God. So there are so many ways in a culture that is shaped by the cult of personality. Now, we need to be reminded that apart from a connection to the power of Christ and a reliance on His, on, on his Spirit, our work for the King, if, if not, sorry, apart from that, our work will be in vain, folks. You know, whilst I want to encourage us, and I want to say this, be you. Be you, be who you are. Don't imitate someone else that you see on TV, on this, on that, you know. Be, be, be you. But don't be you who will become self-sufficient. Don't be you who will become so independent that you don't know how to rely on the Lord, how to hear His voice. Don't be lukewarm in that. So don't get me wrong that I'm not in any way saying that we should not have, as a church, you know, meaningful programs and have amazing worship music and teaching and all of that. But it must always be based on, based and we must be reliant on God who gives us the grace, the power, the strength, the anointing, and that He is consistently recognized as the one true source. And that's our job. So, so what does that mean then? It means simply this. That when, when we, when, when we come, whatever God tells you and I to do, we just don't rock up without firstly recognizing the fact, I need you, oh, I need you, every hour I need you. We, we have to recognize that. And we are living in a day and age where that is being taken away from us. You're not being reminded of that. You're being told you can be your, who you are. Anything you want, you can be it. And if someone treats you badly, just walk away. It's okay. You know, there's more to it than, than all of that. He has given you and I the power. He has given you and I the authority. He has given us the message of reconciliation. Easter is about reconciling these things, coming to terms and reconciling this thing, 
right? I want to ask you this question. How, how self-reliant and how self-sufficient are you today that has inched God away? And you see that in the way you view church, in the way you view the kingdom of God, in the way you view, you and I view His promise. There are things that the Lord says in terms of how we need to commit to Him, to commit to a life of being a disciple of Christ. Ask yourself this question right now. I just want, we want to end with this song and I want you to build your, your own altar here today. And I want you to come to a place where if you do feel, you know, this message may not be for everyone here. You may feel that, no, I've, I've, I've got it. I'm, I'm totally reliant on God. Maybe. But maybe it's a message for those of us who feel, God, it's so easy to slip away and I want every minute to be dependent on you. I want every minute. If someone breaks into my car, am I going to rely on the Lord to begin to return back to me sevenfold? Am I going to believe in that restoration? Or am I going to rely on the police? Am I going to rely on that now? I'm not saying that we shouldn't. Again, do we rely on the doctors? Yes, we do. But I'm sure you understand our ultimate, our ultimate trust must be anchored in, in Christ. The Lord will lead us to the right physician, to the right doctor, to the right police, to the right investigator. He will lead us. He will lead us to the right, to the right jobs. He, he, he will do that. But it is not stepping out before you know that God... I, I, I want to I trust you again. You know, it's not getting overboard and looking at your wardrobe and saying, Jesus, what color shirt do I wear? Should I wear this? Should I, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying let's go to that extent because he gives us an ability to make free choices, right? But within the context of all of that, where are we? in fully trusting, in fully trusting God, folks, right? in being so desperate for Him.